Thank you very much. Good morning. Bear with me a second. Great stuff. Good. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, thank you very much for coming. I know you haven't come just to see me, but thank you very much. I appreciate it anyway. Um, we're going to tell a story this morning. Um, as Sarah's alluded to, one of our children is called Gideon, um, and this is a story that I've told him many times at bedtime. Um, we've got a children's version, which I've spared you from um, this morning, but we might do the voices. I'm going to throw it out there. I'll threaten that now. Um, I won't do the voices. It's fine. It's all good. Um, but basically, no, I'm not. This is, a, um, this is a story about a man. It's a story about a man. It's a story about a nation, and I believe it can be a story about you as well, if you choose for it to be. Because this is a defining moment for Gideon. It's a defining moment for him as a man and as a leader. It's a defining moment for the nation of Israel as a people, as God's chosen people, although at the time they may have forgotten it. And I believe it can be a defining moment for you as well, as God's child, as God's chosen representative on earth, although you may have forgotten that as well at times. But it's a defining moment for them um, and for you. So we're going to start um, in the Bible, which is a very good place to start. Um, Judges 6, verse 1 to 6, says this, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. This is the context of this story. This is a nation under occupation. It's a nation that's not conquered, but it's oppressed. They're not in slavery, but they're not completely free. And so often that's where we can end up living our lives, potentially. Occupation restricts your life. And you can find that you can still live your life and you still make your choices, but there's something about it that just feels a little bit restricted. There's something that holds you back. And that can be any number of things. So a question for you this morning that we're going to start with, just to set the scene, is what is your occupation. Because if we believe that this is more than just a bedtime story, if we believe that this is more than just a collection of stories, if the Bible itself is more than just a collection of stories, 2 Timothy 3 says that the Bible is God-breathed. We know from Genesis that when God breathes into something, it brings life. So this is a collection of stories that brings life to you and should bring life to you. So if that's true, then this story is here for a reason. So there's an application for it. So what is your occupation? What restricts your life? We are living with an occupying force at the moment at home. Um, it started, as many of these things start, uh, with watching a television program. Um, we live in a golden age of television. There's TV everywhere, all the time, online, on demand, on all the time, pretty much. Um, in the school holidays, certainly CBeebies is doing my head in, if I'm completely honest. Um, but we started watching a TV program, and sometimes it's very easy when you're flicking through TV programs to watch something that you discover is actually not particularly healthy for you. 
Um, and some of you may have experienced that, and you, you'll, you'll look at a TV program and think that it's, it's not actually, it doesn't really line up with my values. There's content in it that's not particularly helpful. Um, but everybody else is watching it, can't really be that bad, so we'll give it a go. So we watched the program on one occasion, which has had a lasting impact on our lives. And uh, I must warn you, please, I do not endorse this program in any way at all. But we did watch one episode of Country File. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. Tim, you're not over 45. I know, that's what I thought. Tim, you don't spend your entire life in wellies. I know, that's what I thought at the time. If you're a die-hard Country File fan, I apologize, but you're playing with fire. Um, we watched one episode of Country File, and we've genuinely been living with the consequences ever since. I have banned Country File from my house because long, slightly convoluted story short, we bought a dog. Yes, um, and he's been an occupying force in our life ever since. He has power plays that he does. We'll come down in the morning and he's lying on the sofa, not in the bed where we left him, on the sofa, my sofa that he knows he's not allowed in. He will sit in doorways because he's a pack mentality. He's half collie. He's got quite a pack mentality, so it's all about being the alpha male. So you will sit in doorways in your way and you have to make him move. Otherwise, it, he'll kind of assert his dominance over you, etc. Um, but he's an occupying force. He restricts what we do. I have to pick up his poo. I have to feed him. I have to take him for walks. He dominates my time. My wife claims that I will grow to love him. Um, I think it may become a little bit more like Stockholm Syndrome, where you kind of fall in love with your captor, that sort of hostage-captive situation. Um, but I'm not sure. But he is an occupying force in our lives. But your occupying force may not be a dog. It may be something deeper. Um, for years, I struggled with an occupying mindset of I'm not good enough. And that dominated my um, thought processes and subconsciously developed what I did and altered what I did. So I would dream big dreams and have massive um, ambitions and never get beyond the first step because subconsciously I was thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not really good enough. And I'd try and get rid of, of strongholds in my life and I'd never really get that far because I'd think, but wait, well, yeah, but you're not really good enough. And it manifested itself in a yeah but mentality, and it affects everything. It affects relationships. It affected the relationship with my wife, for example, because there is nothing more attractive, as we know, than a man who is insecure. Um, so it was something that um, really kind of impacts on your relationships, and mindsets and occupation can be like that, and your occupying force may not be that. It can be all sorts of different things. A few examples that I've just pulled out, laziness, apathy, doubt, uh, finances or poverty, poor self-image, stress, anger, all of these things are things that can occupy our lives and can occupy our mindsets. Now, if you're tempted, there are a few exceptions to this that I must stress. Um, number one, and I only say this because I thought of these as an occupying force at one point, um, and I am wrong. Children are not an occupying force. They are a gift, as parents have to keep reminding themselves. And your marriage is not an occupying force. It's an alliance. Who you chose to ally yourself with is your own problem. Um, but there we go. Or your own blessing, as, as it is in my case, I know. So, um, we often struggle with occupying forces in our lives. And we often do what the Israelites did in this situation, which is they cried out to the Lord. And if we carry on with the story, Judges 6 
6 to 10 says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. And we stop there and think, that's brilliant. That's what I need. When I've got a problem, when I've got an issue in my life, I want God to send me a messenger. I want God to send someone to tell me what to do. That's great. And the prophet says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Brilliant. I brought you up out of Israel, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you haven't listened to me. That's what the prophet said. That's not particularly encouraging. And sometimes life can feel like that. Sometimes church can feel like that. Sometimes all that seems to happen is it highlights actually how inadequate you are and how the occupying force is there. Bear with me, there is hope. But that's sometimes what can happen. And often we can fall into the comparison trap as well as we look around at other people. And all that seems to do is highlight our own inadequacies because we see or perceive how great their life is. And actually that's just highlighting something in me. But... There is, a, there is hope, and here's the good bit. Verse 11, then. You see, with God, there's always a then. He may convict you. He may highlight things in your life. You may recognize things, but there is always a then. There is always hope. There is always a moment when God steps in and says, I'm not going to leave you in that place. And God chooses never to abandon us. John 14, 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And the whole of that chapter, John 14, 15, and 16, are fantastic, um, fantastic promises of Jesus not leaving his people. Because Jesus has come, he's died on the cross, he's fulfilled his mission, and he's going back to the Father, but he's not leaving us as orphans. He's not abandoning us. He's sending the Holy Spirit, and he's, he will come to you. Because Israel wasn't conquered... It was occupied. And in 2 Corinthians 4, it puts it like this. It says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. It was occupied, not conquered. Isaiah 42 verse 3 isn't on the screen, but it puts it as God says that a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In other words, however bad it may seem, God is there for you. However bad it may seem, he will not crush you. God is not interested in breaking you. He is interested in stretching you. So whatever situation, circumstance you're dealing with, Jesus is always there for you. You're never alone. So the story continues. Judges 6 verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of, of Abiazar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And we'll carry on into verse 12. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's threshing wheat in a wine press to hide it. But the angel comes to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Identity is always more important than activity. Or in other words, who you are is more important than what you're currently doing. 
Who you are is more important than what you've been up to. Who you are is more important than the crisis that you found yourself in. Who you are is more important than the circumstances and the difficulties that rise up around you. Your identity in Christ is more important than any activity that you happen to be doing at this moment in time. And in the midst of whatever your activity is, good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, I believe that God wants to come to you and remind you that the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Two things. One, you are mighty. The Bible says it. If you read through the Bible and look at all of the things that God says about you, it will blow your mind. But you are mighty. And number two, the Lord is with you. But as we go on to see, sometimes a calling takes time to grow into. Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. In, otherwise, in other words, Gideon echoes the cry of the Israelites, which is, why haven't you sorted this out for us, God? This is how this relationship is supposed to work. That's what happens. We cry out to you. You come. You sort it out. That's what you did before. That's what you did in Egypt. That's what you always do. That's what, your father, that's what our fathers have always said. When I have a problem, I cry out to you and you solve it for me. That's what my children do. Gideon does it all the time. We have a, a new son called Nathaniel who's five months old, um, who is gorgeous. Um, but when he has a problem, he cries about it and he lets us know all about it. And we expect us to solve his problem for him. That's what Gideon was asking God to do. But of course, we don't do that. How many of us have found ourselves in this situation where we have a problem and we pray and ask God to sort it out for us? I know I have. Many, many times. And sometimes that's the right thing to do. And sometimes it may be that God's asking us to do a little bit more. Because the Lord turned to him and said... Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I love how polite Gideon is in this version. This is the version that I read to my son. This is how polite I want him to be. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Go in the strength that you have. And Gideon's response is quite rightly, who, me? What? No, I'm the weakest. And it's interesting because God doesn't actually contradict him. He doesn't say, no, you're not the weakest. Your, your clan is not the smallest. Your family is not the lowest. His response is, no, I'm with you. And actually, we discover that this is a story of growing up. This is a story of maturity. Because it's like God turns to Gideon and says, it's your turn, but I'm still with you. And sometimes in life, when it comes to dealing with our occupations, with our restrictions, it's like God says to us, it's your turn, but I'm still with you. That there is no turning back. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The battle has been won. So actually, when it comes to dealing with this stuff, it's your turn, but God's still with you. Because his grace is sufficient for you. We just sang in that song, Christ is enough for me. His grace is enough for you, for his power is made perfect in your weakness. And ultimately, that's what I believe our lives are. They're a story of us maturing in Christ, a story of us maturing in our walk with God. 
And it's a spiritual growing up that needs to occur as well as a physical growing up. But sometimes that's difficult, and sometimes we doubt that God's even working in our lives at all. Gideon did. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Is it really you, God? Seriously. We've all had that thought as well. Is this actually what God wants? And that's the original lie told in the Garden of Eden of, um, did God really say? Is it really God talking to us? And I've often heard Gideon um, criticized for this because he asks for a sign. And he asks for a sign three times. He asks for it here. He asks for a, a fleece to be left dry and dew to be on the ground. And then he asks for a fleece to have dew on it and the ground to be left dry, which is an interesting sign to ask for. Uh, it wouldn't immediately spring to mind for me, but I don't live in that time. Um, but he's been criticized for doing this as doubting. But it's interesting that God doesn't criticize him for doubting. God actually responds to his requests. And I take from that, don't be discouraged by your doubts. Your doubts are not a sign that God hasn't spoken to you. Your doubts are not a sign that you're wrong. Your doubts are not a sign that God is, is with you, that God is not with you. But they are something to be overcome. Don't be discouraged by your doubts. Remember, it's your turn, but he's still with you. So God tells Gideon what to do next. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. It's very specific. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Baal and Asherah were the two dominant um, idol gods at the time, the gods of the country that they'd moved into when the Israelites invaded the promised land. They were the two dominant gods that God told them not to worship. Cut down the tear down the altar, cut down the Asherah pole, and then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. What does God ask him to do? God says, start at home. Start with you. Start with your heart. Deal with you first. That's always the starting point for driving out your occupation, whatever that happens to be. If it's finance... If it's poverty, if it's debt, start with you. Start with your heart. Get your heart right. Whatever it happens to be, don't focus on the external at first. Focus on you. Get the heart sorted and everything else will follow, which Gideon does. But if you'll notice, his calling takes some time to grow into because he's afraid and he does it at night. That's okay. Take the first step. You won't necessarily get there overnight. This is a journey. It's a process. It's not, an it's not an instant God solving it for you straight away. This is a process. Take the first step. Remember, his grace is sufficient for you. It's your turn, but he's still with you. So Gideon goes on this journey of maturity. He develops. He grows. He calls an army together. They actually give him a new name because when he tears down the altar... His family and the townsfolk are livid and go after him. And his father has to stand between them and say, hold on, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, don't take him out. If you believe in Baal, let Baal deal with him. Let Baal contend with him. Don't take him out yourself. And so they give him this new name called Jerob Baal, which we'll see in the next verse, which means let Baal contend with him. 
which is an interesting name to have and something to be known as. But Judges 7, 1 to 3. Gideon has already gathered a massive army together. People have resonated with his calling. People have resonated with what he's saying, that he wants to drive out the occupation in the land. And early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. 22,000 men walk out on you. What does that tell us? doesn't matter what the cost is, you have to get rid of fear. You have to choose to be fearless. Because fear will not stop you from taking the first step, as it didn't with Gideon. Gideon went at night and cut down the altar and the Asherah pole. It won't stop you taking the first step, but it will stop you winning the war. You have to choose to be fearless, no matter the apparent cost. Psalm 118 says this, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. I believe that's a choice. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. So he gets rid of 22,000 men. He has 10,000 left. It's okay, 10,000 is a good number. I like 10,000, it's a good number. God says, Judges 7 verse 4, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. And so God goes through this process of removing people from Gideon's army, and he removes 9,700 men, which gives you 300 left, which isn't that many to fight a battle with. It's interesting the process that God uses. God uses a process of he chooses the men who who kneel down and bring the water up to their mouths and lap the water like a dog when they drink from the river, which is an interesting one. The men who kneel down and and drink directly from the river are sent home. Now, personally, I'm not sure of the exact meaning of why those two are important. I think the point is that God decided who should come and who should go. And that sometimes you have to choose your company. When you're choosing to drive out the occupations in your life, when you're choosing to deal with the things that you don't want in your life, the influences that you don't want in your life anymore, because they're not helpful, they're not healthy, you need to choose your company. And you need to let God help you choose your company. And I don't necessarily mean people. I believe it can speak about people. There may be helpful people in your life. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. So there may be helpful and unhelpful people in your life, but I think it's also about influences. What influences are you listening to? What influences are you um, allowing into your heart? What is it that you're allowing to have an impact on the way that you think, the way that you see the world, the way that you see God, the way that you relate to other people? Choose your company and choose it well. The Bible is full of guidance on what to do and how to choose good company. Ephesians 4 says this, but that's no life for you. It's talked about the wrong way of doing things up until this point. It's good to read. This is the message version. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ 
My assumption is that you've paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. If you haven't paid good attention, careful attention, then pay careful attention. It will help. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it and then take on an entirely new way of life. I'd encourage you to read this chapter. It lists helpful things. And it lists good things to take on in your life. But you need to choose your company. Gideon chooses to listen to what will build faith. To what will build faith in him and in his army of 300, vastly outnumbered. Because sometimes we end up in a situation where the odds are ridiculous. But God's with us. Because it's your turn, but God's still with you. Because his grace is sufficient for you. And his power is made perfect in your weakness. And so they attack and they win. But it's interesting that they don't just win the battle because if we carry on with these, this story, Zeba and Zalmunna, the two kings of Midian, fled. But he, Gideon, pursued them and captured them, routing their entire army. If you are dealing with an issue in your life and you want to get rid of it, don't just settle for the battle win the war. Have a zero tolerance. Don't allow it back in, because it's easy to do. The Bible talks about renewing your mind, constantly renewing your mind. Choose what influences you allow in and what you don't. It's a choice of how to live. Jesus has already saved you. The battle has already been won. But win the war. Don't give it an inch. And if you do, or if you have, don't be discouraged. It's your turn, but he's still with you. His grace is enough. His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm repeating it so it goes in, because that's important. Recognize your occupation. What is it that is an occupying force in your life? What is it that is your, yeah, but when you dream about things, when you think about what you want for your children, when you think about what you want for your life, when you think about the great dreams that God's placed on your heart, what's your, yeah, but what's that occupying force, that occupying mentality? And then remember that your identity is more important than what you're currently doing. If when you think of that, you think of something 30 years ago that never happened and you've somehow wandered off, your identity and who you are is more important than where you found yourself. Your identity is more important than the lost dreams. Your identity is more important. God says that he will restore the years that the locusts have taken. There is always a then. No matter where you found yourself, don't be discouraged by your doubts. If I just said that and you went, yeah, but don't be discouraged by your doubts. Start with you because that's what you can control. Start with your heart. You may not be able to change your circumstances. It may seem out of control. But if you start with you, you're starting. 
Choose to be fearless. Choose your company. Choose what influences you allow in and what you don't. And then win the war. If you've made that choice a long time ago and you've chosen to follow God's way and you've allowed other things to come in, kick them back out again. Win the war. Don't just settle for the one battle. Remember, it's your turn, but he's still with you. Some of you sitting here this morning know that it's your turn. Some of you know that this is your defining moment, that this is your enough is enough moment. And I want to encourage you. Jesus said that he came to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That freedom is here for you today. If you're dealing with an occupying force in your life, that freedom is here for you today. It's your turn. Choose to be fearless. For some of you, this is about accepting Jesus for the first time. For some of you, you've never experienced this God in your life at all. And for some of you, you may have been putting off this decision for a while. Can I encourage you this morning? It's your turn. He's still with you. So if you'd like to know more about this God, you'd like to know more about this God who loves you and believes in you and has great things for you, who sent his son that you may have life in all its fullness, not restricted, then can I encourage you just to put up your hand this morning. If you'd like to speak to somebody at the end, if you'd like to pray with somebody at the end and you'd like to invite Jesus into your life, then now is your turn. One of the welcome team will see and they'll come and talk to you at the end. For those of us, if there is anybody here that God is prompting you that actually you just need to deal with something, that you've recognized that you have an occupation, you didn't even realize it before necessarily, but there is something that's restricted your life and you want to deal with it. Then I'd like you to stand and we'll pray. Don't be discouraged by your doubts. Start with you. Choose to be fearless this morning. This can be your defining moment. It's the start of something. This is a long process. Sometimes. Sometimes it's short. But you have to take the first step and start with you. That's great. Can I encourage everyone to stand? If you feel that God's spoken to you specifically and you'd like to pray with somebody at the end, there will be people at the front who would like to um, pray, pray with you um, and talk with you. But I'll just pray for everybody now. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the story of Gideon. God, I thank you that it in itself raises faith in us. That you're not interested in what the odds are, you're interested in our hearts. And Jesus, I thank you that you empower us to deal with things in our lives. Father, I thank you that you are with us, that you have not left us as orphans, but that you came to us. And Jesus, we choose to recognize that this morning. Father, will you help us 
drive out the occupations in our lives, to win the war. And Jesus, this morning we choose to praise you because you are worthy.